We're beginning a brand new uh, series tonight, and we're going to go to the book of Zechariah tonight. Zechariah was a contemporary of the prophet Haggai. Matter of fact, their ministries coincided with each other. And it's the most quoted book. Zechariah is the most quoted book by Jesus of the Old Testament prophets, and it's the most quoted book of prophecy in the New Testament. And when you read the book of Zechariah, it's a fascinating read. And honestly, as I've been praying and preparing, I just had this excitement about sharing with you what God has to say. A little background to the book of Zechariah. <clears throat> the people of God had come back to Israel. They were those that wanted to come back from Babylon. They had come back to Babel, from Babylon to Jerusalem. And they were going to rebuild the temple. And they started, they basically got the foundation laid. They, they Once they got the foundation laid, they started uh, offering sacrifices. And then through a series of um, people that were opposed to them, people that were mocking them, and some legal maneuverings in the kingdom of that time, uh, the temple stopped. As a matter of fact, it had been 16 years. And so... God raised up the prophet Haggai to get the people motivated to start work again. And then later, a young man by the name of Zechariah, God raised him up, not so much about the temple, but about the hearts of the people and to encourage them. It's important to remember, as you begin to read the book of Zechariah, Zechariah was a young prophet. <clears throat> Zechariah uh, probably died very early. I'll get to that in the message tonight. Um, his father probably died as a young man as well. I'll get to that in the message as well. But you need to, to kind of understand the people, according to Eugene Peterson in his introduction to the book of Zechariah in the message translation of the Bible, they were actually in danger of losing their identity as the people of God. And when I say losing their identity, it wasn't that they were no longer becoming Jews, but it was they were in danger of giving up on the dream, giving up on the vision, giving up on what God had called them to do. This is a much different time in the history and in the life of the Jewish people as a nation. Uh, there was no Moses, there was no David, there was no Solomon. They, because of their sins, God had exiled them to Babylon, and there they had been for 70-something years until the Lord began bringing them back to the nation of Israel. Now, the book is concerned with both forthtelling and foretelling. And I will explain more of that as we go through uh, this series and this study. But foretelling is the primary job of a prophet, to bring a message, to bring a word of God. It's, I'm not a prophet. I don't call myself a prophet. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher of the gospel. But when I bring the word of God like I'm doing tonight or when I'm preaching on Sunday mornings, I, that's the equivalent of prophecy when it comes to foretelling. But there is a huge element in this particular book of foretelling and that's the reason that it's quoted so often in the Revelation, the last book of the Bible. It's quoted so often in the book of Revelation because there's this foretelling. And as we go through it, I think you're just going to be absolutely amazed and, and be like me. You will fall in love with Zechariah. Now, for those of you who maybe look at your Bibles in the table of contents and, and you see uh, that Zechariah is a... Um, minor prophet. That has nothing to do with the significance of his 
the importance of the book or his contribution that God used him to make to the to the canon of scripture. It just simply means it's a small book. It's only 14 chapters. It's not a long book at all. It's not like the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah. For instance, they're called major prophets because the books are so large. So I hope you're going to join and join along with me tonight. Understand the context. This is a young prophet. He's working alongside the prophet Haggai. We will, in this series of messages, we will go back to Haggai several times to kind of catch up on what's being said here and to get a little more context of, to what's being said and how we can interpret that. Oh, but there's one more thing I wanted to share with you tonight. Oftentimes people will tell me, you know, I don't like to read the Old Testament. And I'm constantly encouraging our congregation, read the Old Testament. That's the Bible that Jesus read. That's the Bible that Paul was telling Timothy to study the Word of God, to show himself approved, a workman that didn't need to be ashamed. You know, the canon of, of the New Testament had not been put together yet. And so the Old Testament is such an important part. And, and some of the complaints or some of the reasons that people give me sometimes that they don't study the Old Testament is, is it's hard to understand. It's not as difficult as we make it. There are some very difficult portions in there. But the Old Testament was not meant to be read in a hurry. Now, I've encouraged you in your morning devotions, when you're reading your Bible before you go to work, just read through your Bible. You don't, you don't have to stop and read the footnotes. You don't have to stop and read the marginal notes. Just read your Bible because it's kind of like Becky prepared a wonderful meal for us tonight. She prepared chicken tortilla soup, and it was just perfect for this cold winter night that we had uh, that soup for our dinner this evening. But if you ask me a week from now, what did I have for dinner tonight? I probably won't remember. I may remember since I'm telling you about it, you know, in a service this evening. But you eat the Word of God like you consume a meal every day for nourishment. But you do need a time just where you sit down and you study the Bible. When I was a child, there was a challenge that was given to us in a science class, and that was to map out a small portion, maybe 12 inches square in our yard, and mark it off with string, and then just study that to see what's there. How many bugs can you count? How many uh, different kinds of grass? Are there any weeds there? Are there any seeds there? What's the dirt feel like? And, and I was fascinated as I just took that one foot of ground and recorded every single thing that I found. That's studying. And that's the way we approach our Bibles, period. We take time to study and observe and what's being written, what kind of of, of, of writing is this? Is it prophecy? Is it poetry? Is it, is it didactic or teaching? And so we study the Word of God. And then the second thing is, come with a sense of expectancy. This is God's Word. God wants to speak to you through the Word. And so just take time and pray. Say, Lord, I'm just coming to you to study your Word. I want your Word to be in me. I want to grow. And as you do that, I promise you, you will grow in grace and understanding as well. And the Holy Spirit will help you. And then approach it with a sense of uh, excitement. I mean, the stories of the Old Testament, I mean, the stories of creation, the stories of Noah and the Ark, or the story of David and Goliath, you know, these are fascinating stories. And there are some fascinating stories we're going to look at in the book of Zechariah as well. 
So let's join together. Let's pray. And then we're going to jump right into this. And I'll conclude at seven o'clock tonight. And hopefully I'll conclude at seven o'clock and, and be right on time and not hold you long. So Heavenly Father, we love you. And obviously, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your son, loved this book as well. He quoted from it. Lord, he even referenced this prophet in his teaching. So I'm asking you tonight, as we begin with these first six verses, would you just open our hearts and give us a sense of anticipation and expectation as we read your word together this evening. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, let's begin. Zechariah chapter 1. In November of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave this message to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, grandson of Edo. I, the Lord, was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophets said to them, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Turn from your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. Where are your ancestors now? They and the prophets are long dead. But everything I said through my servants, the prophets, happened to your ancestors just as I said. As a result, they repented and said, We have received what we deserve from the Lord of heaven's armies. He has done what he said he would do. That's Zechariah chapter 1 and the first six verses. Well, the book starts off with a sermon. Don't you wish my sermons were that short? And this may be just the outline that was given of the sermon that Zechariah preached. But it's, it's a call to repentance. It's a call to the people of God to repent and to remember. It's a reminder of the power of the word of the Lord. But there is a really tragic sentence in that that we just read, where Zechariah asks the people under the direction of the Holy Spirit, where are your ancestors now? Their, their ancestors, it was because of their sins, their fathers, or their grandfathers, because of their sins that the people were exiled to Babylon. They heard the preaching of the word, but they didn't listen to the preaching of the word. If you'd have asked them, they'd have told you, yes, we're good Jews, just like some people who hear the word of God and go to church and they they but they don't practice the word of God. They don't love God enough to obey his word. And so they're, they're, they hear it, but they never apply it to their lives. And so he says, where are your ancestors? Well, when they thought about it, their ancestors were buried back in Babylon or Persia now at this time. And that's not the place that any good Jew would want to be buried. That's not the place that anyone today who's, who's Jewish would that's living in Israel, they want to be buried in Israel. Remember the story of Joseph that when he died in Egypt, he knew the day was coming when the children of Israel would go back to the promised land. And he says, take my bones with you. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. I want to be buried in, in Israel. One of my dear friends, and, and I've heard this from several of my dear friends who go to Israel often, they tell me, they say, the moment I get off the plane, I feel like I'm whole. And they've never lived there, but they go back every year because Israel feels like home to the Jews. So that's a very tragic statement, but it's also a statement that says, now listen and learn. Let's look at this next verse. In Matthew 23 and verse 35, Jesus is talking, 
And he tells us about what happened to the end of the life of Zechariah. Let's, let's just go to the whole thing. As a result, you will, he's talking to the Jewish leaders at the time. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time. For the murder of righteous Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you killed in the temple, between the sanctuary and the altar. Now, he's not saying just the Jews would be responsible. He's saying that people who persecute, you know, think for a moment like the Christians that have been beheaded or had their throats slashed or people that have been persecuted like the short-term missionaries were by the gang and, uh, in Jamaica, unless they repent like the Apostle Paul did, unless they repent of their sins, they're going to, that a generation of people who treat the people of God in disdain are going to be held in account. But what I want you to see is that Jesus is referring to Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is a common name in the Bible. There's a number of Zechariahs that are mentioned in the Bible. But here, when you see Zechariah, son of Berechiah, then this gives us a real good glimpse that Jesus was recognizing the ministry, the prophecy, and the book of Zechariah by calling his name out. And it's another reason why I believe he was probably a young man when he was killed. I could be wrong on that. You know, it, that, that doesn't, you know, add any weight to the message or not. But never underestimate what God will do with a young person. Never underestimate what God will do with your children or your teenagers or your young adults. I had a powerful prayer request turned into me this week after our Sunday morning service. I, I get folded cards in a minute for me personally from one of the young men in our church. It's just a powerful prayer request. And I, I will never underestimate what I expect God to do in their lives. Well, let's keep moving forward. You can kind of remember what the book of Zechariah is all about by looking at these three names. Zechariah, who the Lord remembers. What a powerful thing. Do you know God remembers you? But the book of Zechariah is saying that God remembers his people. Remember what I said? They were not the children of Israel in the time of Moses or the time of David or Solomon. They, they were a defeated nation. They were, they were coming back still as servants to a Persian king. This was not the time of the Jews. There was not a Jewish king on the throne of Israel at this time. So they're coming back basically as refugees to their homeland, still under the rule of a Persian king and that's how that political maneuvering that stopped the reconstruction of the temple took place. And, and we don't have time to talk about that tonight. But just remember, God is saying to them, I remember you and I remember my promises to you. You need to know as you read this book that God knows who you are. God has never forgotten his promises to you. And not one single word of the scriptures will fail in your life. The second thing I'd like you to remember is the name Berechiah. By the way, that's the name of my grandson, Berechiah. It means the Lord blesses. And I want you to know tonight that God blesses his people. Never be ashamed to ask for the blessings of God. I have two prayers every day. I, I don't say them always this way, but I just simply pray, Lord, I'm asking you to bless me so I can be a blessing to others. The more God blesses me, the better I am able to bless others. And the more that I bless others, it's like the more blessings God pours back into my life. So the Lord remembers, the Lord remembers to bless, and he's going to show us that as we go through the book of Zechariah. But the third thing is his grandfather's name at the appointed time. 
And that is so key to understanding this book tonight. Because there is an appointed time for God's blessing in your life, but there's also an appointed time where Jesus will come back. Now, the people of God, when they were rebuilding the temple, they cried, they mourned because the temple was not as grand as they hoped that it would be. It was, they remembered the former temple of the glory of, and if you've read the books of Ezra and, ne Ezra and Nehemiah and Haggai, you know about this. They, they mourned because they remembered the glory. Well, dear ones, tonight, there's always an appointed time to what God is going to do. They mourned because there wasn't a king on the throne of Israel. And if you remember, after Jesus' resurrection in the book of Acts chapter 1, even the disciples asked Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Israel was under the Roman rule, if you remember. Will you at this time restore the kingdom? And kingdom is an important concept in the book of Zechariah. And the Lord said, it's not for you to know the seasons or the times that the Father has appointed. No one knows the time when Jesus is coming back except for the Father himself. So Zechariah, whom the Lord remembers, Berechiah, the Lord blesses, and Edo at the appointed time. Don't take time to do this now, but if you haven't downloaded our app, all of these notes are on our church app or on our church webpage, woodland.church. You can get our app at um, the Apple Store or the Google Play Store, and it's Woodland Church Mobile, I believe is the name of the app, but all of these notes are in there for you tonight. The next thing I'd like you to see from this first sermon that um, Zechariah pre preaches is the key to blessing is repentance. The key to blessing is repentance. You see, when you repent of your sins, suddenly there is a change in your demeanor and in your heart. The key to repentance is recognizing that God's word is true. And as, as Zechariah is preaching this message, he's going after the heart of the people of God. He's going after them to touch their hearts and to draw them to himself. There's always hope for a man or a woman or for a child that can say, I'm sorry. And not just that I'm sorry, but to repent and to turn. So the next thing I'd like you to look at is this verse of scripture from Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Now, if you're following along in your Bible or with the notes, circle that word, turn you, because that's what repent means. It means to turn, to do a 180, so to speak. If I'm going west, then I go east. If I'm going north, then I go south. And south sounds pretty good right now up here in southeast Michigan. But the kindness of God. The tolerance of God, the patience of God, according to Romans chapter 2, 4, it's meant to lead us to a place of repentance. And Jesus then, excuse me, John the Baptist would say then in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what I mean. It's not just enough to say, I'm sorry. You know, I can remember times my children saying, I'm sorry. And I knew they just wanted to get into trouble. That didn't mean that they had changed their hearts or changed their minds about something. Uh, I can remember one time in particular where my, my wife insisted that one of our sons apologize to his brother for something that he had done. And he went, I'm sorry. 
And we both knew there was no repentance there. So Jesus says there should be this bearing of fruit in your life in keeping with the repentance that you do, that you, that you bring to the Lord. Let's look at this. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, that's an interesting statement as well, because this is the same way Jesus is going to start his message. To repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what does that mean? Let me see if I can illustrate it like this. Let's look at three different circles. To understand the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his hand, first thing you need to understand is there's creation that God made and God created, gave to us as our home, that we would keep it, we would steward it. That's a good word for dominion. It doesn't mean to to abuse it. It doesn't mean because God gave it to us that we have the right to abuse it, but that we would steward creation and rule as, to, to use a word like this, to rule as his regents in creation. So you've got this circle of creation. The second thing is then you have this, this powers of hell circle that we now battle. So if you could imagine this circle, if I was to draw it out like this, and then we met like the Olympic rings, the powers of hell. When Adam and Eve obeyed the devil, when the devil said, take it, eat this fruit, it will make you like God. And they, and he questioned the character of God and they bought into that lie. By obeying the devil, they turned over their dominion or their authority to the devil and that's how sin was brought into this world. Now, the only way to overcome that and to get out from under the iron heel of the enemy is to repent and turn from your sins and follow after Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this illustrated throughout the book of Zechariah. So the New Testament preaching of repentance, and especially as we looked at just that one little verse of, from Romans, it's all about, it's all explained in the Old Testament in some very beautiful, beautiful ways. But there's a third circle tonight, and I want to keep moving with this. And that is that Jesus said, now John didn't say this, but Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here now. Now, there is an aspect of theology called uh, kingdom now, but not yet. In other words, the presence of the kingdom is here. But the fulfillment of all that the kingdom of God is going to mean has not taken place yet. When Jesus died at Calvary, when Jesus died for his sins, he literally took the authority over hell, heaven and earth. He took it from the devil. He conquered him. He paid the price for our sins. That's what makes the preaching of the cross so powerful. And that's the reason Paul says, if I'm going to boast, I'm not going to boast about healing. I'm not going to boast about preaching. I'm not going to boast about how many people got saved. I'm going to boast in the cross. I'm going to boast about what Christ did upon the cross. So he took those keys from the devil, and now the kingdom of God is present. But the dominion of death and sickness, we still struggle against that. All of that will be taken away. This earth will be renewed. We will be resurrected. And so what we have to recognize now is there is a place of power. There is a place of influence. There is a place of blessing. 
there is a place of abundance that we can walk in right now, but it's only a foretaste of what's going to come. So think about all of the wonderful stories that you read about the promised land in the Old Testament. Think about all the wonderful stories that you read in the Bible. That has not changed. We still live in the kingdom of heaven, but we have even more available to us now through the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. So what is repentance? Repentance is turning from my sin and turning to God. Repentance is very relational. Now, that's a key thing. Used to when I preached on the streets, and I preached a lot of messages on the streets, and um, sometimes people would come by and they would be mocking, and they go, repent, repent, and then they laugh or whatever. And, you know, some people were even ruder. they try to throw something at you or something like that, and that's okay. I'm not complaining, and that was a martyr complex. Um, it was just a part of my growing up and learning how to communicate the gospel. But to, to repent, it's very relational. Now, I didn't understand it as much in those younger days as I understand it now. And I want you to have the benefit of what I've been taught from the Word of the Lord, what I've been taught by my mentors, and what I've learned studying, and what the Holy Spirit has helped me to see. Repentance is relational. It's not mechanical. Yes, I turn away from my sin, but I'm turning from listening to what the enemy has to say about life, like Adam and Eve did, and I'm turning to follow after Christ, to follow after him with my whole heart. So I want you to see that. Therefore, say to the people, this is what Zechariah is saying, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, return to me. See the relation? Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, I want you to note three things here. Number one, this phrase, Lord of Heaven's Armies, that's going to appear a lot through the book of Zechariah. Number two, I want you to see the call for repentance. Return to me. You're going this way. You're going the way that your fathers went. Return to me. It's not enough that you're building the temple. It's not enough that you come back. It's not enough just to go to church on Sunday. Have a personal, up-to-date, ongoing relationship with Jesus Christ every single day. And the blessing is, God says he will return to you. Matter of fact, one of the great promises in the book of Hebrews is, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I want the presence of Jesus for you so very much. So repentance is about my heart. It's not something mechanical or something like that. It's about me on the inside. I think that's why Jesus said, you remember some of those really controversial, tough things that Jesus said? Jesus says, if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So if I harbor hatred to someone, it's just like I'm trying to murder them. If I gossip about someone, if you go to Woodland, you've heard this a lot, our names, even our enemies' names, should always be safe in our mouth. Jesus says, if you hate someone, you've committed murder. Jesus says, if I look upon another woman with lust in my heart, if you're a woman and you look upon another man with lust in your heart, and you start fantasizing, <clears throat> pardon me, you start fantasizing about a relationship you shouldn't have there, you've committed adultery in your heart. So repentance is not just about going to church. Repentance is not just about giving to uh, the Lord's work. Repentance is not just about telling other people about Jesus. Repentance is not even just about being on Facebook and watching a midweek service with me tonight. 
Repentance is about loving God with your whole heart. So we can see right here, God is not interested in externals only. You will change on the outside when Jesus rules your heart on the inside. Next thing I'd like you to see is from Psalms 51 verse 3. And I talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning. Matter of fact, I was kind of getting ahead of myself. I'm just so excited about this series. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what's evil in your sight. And you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. What's David saying? His sin against other people was a sin against God. And so repentance is very relational. David's recognizing his sin wounded the heart of God. Next thing I'd like you to see tonight is that my repentance will always be imperfect. It will always be imperfect. I said something Sunday morning that I truly meant. My sermons are never done. I, after I finish writing a sermon and preaching a sermon, things just keep coming to mind. It'll happen tonight with this message. I'll wake up sometime during the night thinking, oh, I wish that I'd shared this. And you'd be surprised what all I leave on the cutting floor when I finish up with a message. But it's never perfect. And that's the reason I think Jesus taught us to pray every single day that we would pray that God's kingdom, that his will would be done in our lives, and I've lost my place here, so if I mess up, just be patient with me, that his kingdom and his will will be done in our lives. Here we go. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us of our sins as we've forgiven those who've sinned against us. A couple of things I want you to see right here now is that God's word will always prevail. We're praying for the kingdom to come. <clears throat> Remember what the prophet said. Where are your fathers? Where are your ancestors? They sinned. They would not listen. They heard the preaching. He even says, where are the prophets? The prophets had all died. <coughs> Pardon me. The prophets had all died. But his word had prevailed. His word had, had gone ahead and accomplished what it was supposed to do. Listen to what the Lord says in verse 6. But everything I said to my servants, the prophets, happened to your ancestors just as I have said. And as a result, they repented and said, we have received what we deserve from the Lord of heaven's armies. He has done what he said he would do. Friends, God's not mocked. God's word will prevail even in this time. And I know we live in a society that's drifting further and further. Maybe the word drift is not right. It's rushing further and further away from the cross. But the word of God will prevail. Don't be discouraged by what you see or what you hear culturally or socially, the word of the Lord will prevail. The important thing is that we be like Daniel. Remember Daniel? He was exiled with the people of God. Remember Jeremiah? He suffered with the people of God. But God kept his word to Daniel and kept his word to Jeremiah. God's word will prevail in your life and it will prevail in my life. Well, let's wrap this up tonight because I've already gone over the time that I said I would. What do we do with all of this? Well, it's just really important that you recognize that this whole book of Zechariah is all about God's promise to restore Israel and to restore Jerusalem. Now, the book of Romans is very clear. God has a plan for the people of Israel. It's not outside of Jesus Christ. It's amazing how many Jewish people have come to know the Lord. I shared this uh, with our congregation some time ago that... Um, 
I was out of town and I had the privilege of, of worshiping with a Messianic congregation. It was a large congregation. I enjoyed so much being there, meeting them, uh, meeting the pastor of the church, the rabbi, and, and talking with him and hearing his story of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ and meeting some others that had come to faith as well. God's doing a wonderful, wonderful work in people's lives. Not just Jewish people, but Arab people and people like you and me and people in Africa as well. And so you and I, we really, really need to acknowledge and recognize that God has a plan for Israel. It's not outside of Jesus. And we'll get into that more as we go through the book of Zechariah. But we are called upon to pray for the peace of of Israel and to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Look at this from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I probably quote that scripture more than anything else uh, starting the Sunday morning service. I am. I'm glad to go to the house of God. But in verse 6 of Psalms 122, we are told, pray for peace in Jerusalem and may all who love this city prosper. So in conclusion tonight, Understand this, there is a promise for you and for me from the Word of God in this book of Zechariah. And there's not only a promise for you and me in this book of Zechariah, there is instruction and counsel for you and me in Zechariah. But there are also signposts to Calvary, there are signposts to Palm Sunday as we approach Palm Sunday, and there are signposts as well, praise God, to the restoration of Israel. And I hope you're going to enjoy this with me. Next week, we're going to start with the first of eight visions that Zechariah had. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the gifts of technology. Lord, this technology we're using tonight is a good example, Lord, of how we can take something and use it for good or use it for evil. And I pray that you will bring great good and you will give people a hunger and a deep thirst to learn more about Zechariah and be reading this book as we study it for the next few weeks together in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Good night.